Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Well, good evening from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and from LS, campus of LSU, and from Washington, D.C. I'm David Shrubman. I'm the executive editor emeritus of the Post-Gazette. And it's my great pleasure uh, to welcome all of you for, uh, uh, across the country in the Pittsburgh area, ships at sea, Newfoundland, Montreal, Boston, everywhere, uh, for, the, uh, for this uh, town meeting uh, sponsored by the Post-Gazette and uh, by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield to discuss the uh, 2020 election. You know, before we start, let me say that uh, I've covered elections um, for the past 40 or so years. Every single, every four years, we're told by the candidates and by commentators, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Well, let me just say, this actually is the one time when it is the most important election of our lifetime. And in that context, it's a great pleasure to be able to uh, introduce our, uh, my other two guests and colleagues. Uh, sitting there um, in Louisiana is James Carville, the raging Cajun, the Demo Democratic um, uh, strategist, uh, teacher at LSU, uh, and um, creator of the greatest aphorism about Pennsylvania politics ever. We'll get to that. That's James over there. He's the one in the hat. And uh, the uh, other gentleman is Albert Hunt, who for almost 40 years has been my friend, teacher, and colleague, and um, co-conspirator. He is a uh, former Washington bureau chief of the Wall Street Journal, also of Bloomberg, a syndicated columnist for The Hill newspaper, and uh, probably the single most accomplished and knowledgeable Washington commentator. So we're going to have a conversation here for an hour about an election that's lasted for what seems like four years. And we're going to talk about the 2016 election, the 2020 election. Maybe we'll talk about 2024. It's got to be better than this one. And uh, we'll also entertain your questions about halfway through. So if you have questions, you all know what to do. There's a, uh, a chat, a Q&A function. Just get on that, and we'll talk about we'll talk about your what you want to talk about first. But first, I want to ask uh, Albert and to ask James to put this uh, campaign in perspective. You you both covered you both either covered or participated in campaigns going back to '76, I think. Um, how does this rate? What the questions that are um, that are at stake here, the stakes themselves. How do you put this in perspective? You want to start, Al? Albert. Well, we we'll, we'll go to James. Okay. Uh, well, uh, thank you, David. Uh, and I, I love Pittsburgh. I, you know, rent campaigns in Pennsylvania. I spent a lot of time in the city. We did this forum uh, in person uh, before COVID. So it's it, it's really kind of out of here. There's no put, put this in perspective. There's no historical reference point for this. You can have all of the experience in the world. You, you have one candidate who, for all intents and purposes, I, I can't determine that he's really trying to win the election. He, he's going to Rome, Georgia, which is the 14th congressional district of Georgia, it's probably the reddest congressional district in the world, going to stand up with the QAnon candidate. He, he was in Arizona making fun of the Republican Senate candidate. I, I, I mean, it's no, there's no effort. There's no, it doesn't seem to me that he's trying to do something other than win the election. He came in with 46 percent, and he's done everything that he possibly could to not expand his, his coalition. So every campaign that I've known, I've been involved in, uh, and I've known many people who've been involved on the other side, they all had one thing in common. They were trying to win. I mean, that was the kind of goal, and you were trying to get people to like you and vote for you. You, you didn't always succeed. But it, this is a new strategy, if you will. I mean, he he's doing everything that he can to chase the very people that he needs to win the election away from him. Uh, it, it, it's really befuddling to me 
and, uh, and uh, everybody assumes that there's some strategic ge underlying genius here. And boy, if there is, it, it is a genius that I, I have yet to detect. And he's taken the Republican Party and made it a, a, a personality cult with a base of a part of America that's shrinking every day. And it's just amazing to be in a race where literally 75% of the Republican consultants that I've worked against in my life or appeared in, you know, opposite on TV or forums like this, are like they're more for Biden than I am. I mean, it's really remarkable. And he's trying to run off every possible growing demographic in the country, people with a college education, people who, who non-white people. Uh, it's stunning that for 53% of people who mm -hmm. vote are females, he's doing mm -hmm. everything he can to, to, to get them not to vote for him. So it, I, I would say, honestly, there is no historical perspective. I've been doing this, you God, since I was in the 70s, probably. In, in, in Louisiana, I started running campaigns outside of Louisiana in 1982. And I'll be honest with you, David, I, I, I've never seen anything like it. There's no historical reference point that I have. Uh, I've tried to stop figuring this guy out. Uh, you know, I thought when, you know, when he was stuck at 43% the Wall Street Journal poll in January, any politician with a crisis like COVID would have come along. They would have said, this is a political opportunity for me. And every governor that was involved saw their ratings go up. And, he, you know, there's somebody got to be a lot smarter now to figure this guy out. I'll be honest with you. Okay, let's see if we can get hey, Albert on to Yes, no, hey, then. David, I'm back. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened with the connection, but I endorse everything James said. I don't know what he said, but I endorse it. Whatever it was. <laughs> well, what he said, Al, was that uh, the Trump campaign must have a special genius because it has been able to see a route to the White House that no other living human being has been able to, to find because it seems to want to alienate all of the moving parts of the election. That's basically what he had to say. You know, I think both a number of Democrats and the top Trump advisors, for different reasons, both uh, are living in a year. The problem is the year is 2016, not 2020. And it is, it is, it is profoundly different this year than it was last time. And I think some of the top Trump political lieutenants, either out of uh, fear of telling him bad, bad news uh, or because they have to, you know, protect their own fortunes, uh, are, are deluding themselves. I don't see any path to victory for Donald Trump. Uh, I will say that two weeks ago, I thought it was going to be more lopsided than I think it's going to be today, but I think it's going to be decisive. And if uh, Tim Russert were here, he would have that white chalkboard up. And you know what it would say, David? Go ahead. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, I don't think Pennsylvania will be determinative in the end, because I think that Biden's going to win well over 300 electoral votes. However, if I have overestimated badly, and it's a really close election, the single most important state will be Pennsylvania. Well, let, let's, uh, first of all, before we uh, move to Pennsylvania, um, I wanted to ask uh, each of you, you've talked a lot about the, uh, about the campaign that Donald Trump's running. How about the campaign that, that uh, Joe Biden is running? Is he, in fact, running a campaign at all? James? Oh, oh, uh, oh. Yes. He's running a campaign, and in, in actually, if he's running a, 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 a pretty good campaign, he does limited events. He does not risk his own health. He does not risk the health of his supporters. I thought his, his event in, in Warm Springs was, was great. Uh, I, my only, you know, slight beef is, is I wish, he, you know, I think he, he and President Obama ought to go to Rio Grande Valley in Texas. I do not think, I think this is going to be a decisive win, a very decisive win. And I don't think he's any worse than 50-50 in Texas. I think he's above 50-50 in Georgia. If, if we're, it, it would be like if we were having a race if we were contesting Illinois, right? I mean, right. this is where he is. And there's no, if you read the, the, the story in the Times today, you would see that. I, I actually, in Georgia, the last five polls I've seen, he's ahead. There is some evidence, I, I, I wouldn't want to jump to over conclude this, 
but I've seen a couple of private polls today. They're at Florida, which was, looks, looks kind of squirrely. It's starting to, I think, look better. And, and I, I don't see any path for victory. The, the public averages have barely budged over a period of time. I know some of, some of you see some, but I'm told literally to a person that the polling on, on congressional districts is more favorable than either the, the state polling or the national polling. Yep. So I, I remain very, very bullish, and particularly on Pennsylvania. You, it, Albert's right. It's the keystone state, for, for, and it's really the keystone state in this election. If, he, if Biden wins Pennsylvania, which he's going to do, there's a 90, according to 538, there's a 96% chance he wins the election. So this is game, set, match. After after Pennsylvania comes in, which is going to come in, what are we talking about margin? I, I, I really believe that. And I, I I don't see a route. We had Senator uh, Casey on our, on our podcast uh, yesterday, and, you know, he's never going to be declarative, but to the extent that Senator Casey can be declarative, I would describe his mood as quite optimistic about Pennsylvania. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I work for his father, and I, I, I'm I'm very optimistic and bullish about our chances. And I think I think I'm, of course, I'm hopeful, but I think we're going to have a decisive win Tuesday night. You know, David. Albert, David, let me ahead. pick up on on Biden. Yeah. I I think in a normal year, running against a normal incumbent, a normal Republican. I'm not sure Joe Biden would be the ideal candidate. He is 77. Uh, I know what that's like, uh, and uh, he's been around for a while. I think it may be that this year he is the perfect antidote to Donald Trump. And I think he deserves enormous credit for last year. What Joe Biden realized, which Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Beto O'Rourke didn't, was that the Democratic election of 2018 and the Democratic Party is a progressive center left party. It is not a radical left wing party. And that's what Joe Biden ran on. And it was uh, not for Medicare for all, but for expanding affordable health care, not for the Green Deal Act, but for setting a reasonable target for ending carbon emissions. Uh, he was not for uh, eliminating ICE, but reforming it. And uh, yeah, Jim Clyburn made the most significant endorsement of our lifetime, maybe. But Joe had set the predicate. And I think that positioned him well, not only for the general, but in the Democratic primary. And they deserve credit for that. Now, Albert, we, and, uh, and also, uh, James, we've known, all, both, all three of us have known Joe Biden since the 70s. When you and I met first, Albert, in 1979, if I had told you that uh, 41 years later, Joe Biden would be the savior of the Democratic Party, what would you have said? Hell, if you had told me 41 years ago that you and I would be on a goddamn <laughs> podcast, I'd have said, bring the people in the white coats in. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I would have said no. But even more, I would have said no after his the, the run he made in 1987. It wasn't bad. I mean, you know, you read Richard Ben Kramer's account. It, it makes you laugh and cry at the same time. It was tragic. But, but it, it was chaos. It, it wasn't a whole lot better in 2007 and eight. But, you know, I, this is such a trite term, but I do. First, I think Joe Biden has grown. I think the vice presidency helped that. He was a good senator, but he was a wild card often, as you know. Uh, and I think he is the right person for these times. I really think that. And, and uh, James, your view? Well, look, I'm a, a little bit. He, he, what he did, he had one thing. He understood the Democratic Party and he weighed it out. He really didn't have a campaign is such until the Congressman Clyburn dropped the hat. Right. I mean, they didn't have much of a fundraising operation. They didn't have like field offices. You know, they had some, obviously they had some, some union support and things like that. But what he did better than anybody else, and remember, he lost in, in Iowa and he lost in New Hampshire he lost in Nevada. But, but he, he understood at the core that who the Democratic Party was. It once Clyburn dropped down, the African American constituents in, in, in South Carolina voted, and he won. The entire party, you started seeing it, it, it all change. You go to Northern Virginia and Loudoun and Fairfax and Prince William and places like that. But Livingston County, Michigan, for God's sakes, everybody said, That's it. We just want to win. And everybody, and it was just this massive conclusion. 
that a political party came to almost instantly. And I, and I say he had, had one idea, and that was the right idea. You know, we thought, well, maybe the party is looking for something more energy or we're looking for this. The, the Democratic Party in February to right now is concerned about one thing, I think, I think, getting this guy out of here. And it, if they would have concluded any one of these candidates were better to get him out of there, they would have coalesced. And Biden ran a, a smart campaign. He did not, he, you know, and he understood the party. He understood that it was not a radical left party. And he, he came across as that. And, and I think that was, I think he had a, a, a good conclusion and a good idea who the party is. The Democratic Party is, for the most part, African-Americans and suburban educated females. I mean, those have become our biggest constituencies right now. So uh, I, I give him a lot of credit for that. And, you know, it might be, you know, I think it was Disraeli that said a, a, a politician has to know himself in the times. It might just be that Biden knows both. Right. And it might just be that his voters know both. Yeah. And, you know, David, I went, I traveled with him a little bit in 2018, and I did not think he would be the nominee then. So I'm not going to pretend I had great pressings. I really didn't. But one thing I did note was that there were, wherever you went in the country, uh, whether it was Texas, whether it was Michigan, whether it was Florida, California, Alabama in 2017, they were happy to have Joe Biden come in and help. Any Democrat was. And there were yeah. Democrats that didn't want the Clintons, didn't want Barack Obama, but they wanted Joe Biden. So he was, he was, it wasn't that he was off the charts and he was going to galvanize everyone, but he was acceptable to everyone. And as James said, what this party wants is to get rid of what they consider this menace in the White House. And when you're, when you're acceptable to everyone and then you are able to get Clyburn and take off, it just, it just folded. And he, but he prepared himself for that and he deserves credit. Yeah, he, Doug Jones had him come into Alabama in 2017. Right, right. Uh, that, that no, he would have brought not a single other, you know, national Democratic figure to Alabama in 2017. Right. And this time, he's campaigning in Arizona, Ohio, uh, uh, Georgia, places where Democrats don't don't ordinarily have a good, big, a great. He, he's going to win. He's going to win Georgia. All right. Well, he's just. He, he's going to win Georgia. That's a fire Georgia, bell in the night, isn't it? it, it well, <laughs> the thing is, Georgia, remember Virginia in 2004 was a red state? It right. didn't even stop at the swing state station. All right? It just went blue in 2008, and it, it gets bluer and bluer. That's right. going to be Georgia. Metropolitan Atlanta looks like Metropolitan Los Angeles. And how about Ohio, right. guys? You know, I thought Ohio was going the way of Missouri in 2018. Uh, you know, I really did. Rather than I thought the choice kind of of, of the, that collective electorate was, are you Pennsylvania and you're going to stay kind of purple, maybe even tilting a little blue, or are you going the way of Missouri? And they had a terrible year in 2018. Uh, but I think it's in play now. I, I think it's harder than certainly than Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin. Uh, but I think if Biden wins this thing by seven or eight points, he's going to carry Ohio. Sherrod Brown is certain, dead cinch certain that they will win Ohio. Big vote out of right. Cleveland, big vote out right. of uh, out of Columbus, Franklin County, right? Yeah. 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 So, so I, uh, I have a friend I was helping uh, got in Fannin Rucker running for the DA of Hamilton County, and yeah. I think that Hillary carried it by ten. They don't have a poll with with this, this Biden this under seven. This is this is Hamilton County, Cincinnati, is, Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very under, Republican, right? Uh, well. well not so much. She carried about ten ordinarily. So the yeah, suburb, the city is more democratic. But right. but but the and, and one of the things that Albert will attest to this, people like David Wasserman, Mark Gersh. I'm talking about people that see Jim Gerstein. I'm talking about people that see congressional more congressional polls than anybody in the country. And to right. a person, they will tell you that the congressional polls look better for Democrats than the state polls or even the national polls. And and. You know, you know, we can get into the polls and why they were wrong or anything like that. But but the, uh, it, the, the evidence I see in the polling average is encouraging. And a lot of the anecdotal evidence I see, it, it, to some extent, is even more encouraging. So let's talk about Pennsylvania. I'm sitting in Pennsylvania right now. Uh, James, you spent a lot of time here. Albert, you have as well. So let's start with James. Tell us the, the one 
important sentence that you uh, that you promulgated, the aphorism you promulgated about Pennsylvania. We'll go from there. Well, what I actually said was from from, Paio, from Paoli, which is the westernmost suburb of uh, Philadelphia, to Penn Hills, which is the easternmost suburb of Pittsburgh. It was Alabama without black people. <laughs> it, is, it, is since, it has since been gone as Pennsylvania, it was Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and Alabama in the middle. I, I, my point, of course, everybody in, from Pennsylvania understands exactly what I'm saying, is that the T of a senator state is very traditional, very conservative, uh, acts more like a, to some extent, but sometimes people call it Pennsylvania. Uh, but if, there, if I was looking at this election, if there was one county, the returns that I'm going to want to see is going to be here. Yep. Right. You know, I, th and, I think and, it, we'll, we'll know a lot when uh, when we see uh, Erie County come. And there have been a lot <laughs> of others, but that, that, would be the, that would be the headline county. And let's remember that Trump was in Erie County the other day. Erie County is the home of Tom Ridge, who was the governor, uh, congressman, and a member, a Republican member of a cabinet. And I talked to him this week, in fact, yesterday, and he's voting for, for Biden. That's and Tom says, Ridge. And says Biden will carry Erie. I, I think, right. I look, look, James is a, is a genius on Pennsylvania, uh, even though I'm a, I'm a native. But I, David, I look at Pennsylvania and just as oversimplified, and, and not geographically correct, I divide it into quadrants. And the quadrants are Pittsburgh and, and, and Philadelphia, if you will, the two big cities. Right. Secondly, right. secondly, the quadrants, the northeast and northwest. They're far apart, but it's Luzerne, Luzerne and Northampton and also Erie. Uh, and then central Pennsylvania and the huge Philadelphia suburbs, which are the most populous. They really are. And I think if you look at that as quadrants, that Trump will clearly carry the central. The northeast and northwest will be close, uh, maybe a little bit Trump. But he won't carry it by as much as he carried it last time. And I think Biden will carry Pittsburgh and Philadelphia by as much, and he by more, actually. And he's going to run up a—he carried those four Philadelphia suburbs by 180,000. He'll carry them by over 250,000. I don't—I think that reflects a fondness for Joe, who grew up— uh, you know, about an, uh, 45 minutes away, but it reflects these suburbs just cannot stand Donald Trump. And those suburbs have been Republican until recently, since the Civil War. And if it, you look at, I know if you, we don't usually look at county commissioner elections, but in those those three counties, all elected Democratic county commissioners in 2019. It's a huge precursor. It was the heart of Eisenhower country. I grew up in one of those counties, and I remember my dad one time saying about this guy who lived, uh, you know, uh, close by. He said, "Bill, you know, he lives down there." He said he's a good guy. Now he's a Democrat because it was so rare. Uh, they, they, these counties are now blue, and they are populous. That's about 22, 23 percent of the vote. Uh, but I think it's significant, and James has played a huge role in this. Uh, that those places that are going to go for Trump. Last time in a county, you know, Cambria or Washington, where he got 67, 64 percent, he's going to get 62 or 61. Uh, and he may not carry, Biden may not carry Luzerne, but he'll do better than Hillary did up there. So I, I think the margins are going to be significantly different and the places of Democrat, Democratic strongholds will be stronger. But James, you weigh in. You're encyclopedic on Pennsylvania. Well, I'm not. But look, we, I'm part of a group of American Bridge. It's not a secret. We're spending 75, $80 million in 77 counties in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Because it, 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 and these are all counties that, are, that Obama did significantly better than, than, than we did in 2016. And, and I think we're, you know, I see a lot of polling from these areas. And you're right, we're not going to carry Westmoreland County, but I guarantee you we're going to cut the margin. I guarantee you that. And, and, you know, we're probably not, we don't carry the Zern County, but we're going to cut the margin or, or, or Cambria. And, and Albert's exactly right. But, you know, it, 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 it's not about how much is, if you lose, it's how much you lose by. And uh, Albert, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but Senator Casey said in 2018, he ran better in Philadelphia than even Barack Obama did. He got a higher percentage, and he right. said, I thought, he said delightfully, that was not due to my charisma. That was due to the yeah, fact right. that they that cannot is, stand Donald Trump. Right. And, and uh, Philadelphia, by the way, the city is only 13, well, only, but it's significant, but it's 13% of the state. Both, it right. votes for 13%. It might vote a little bit more this time. 
So how much uh, do you think, uh, James, this state has changed since 1991 when you, uh, when you ran the uh, Harris-Wofford campaign? So in 1990, well, let's go back to 1986, and it was a little better than 91. We needed 37 and change out of, out of Delaware, Montgomery, Bucks, and Testa, I guess, you know, right. suburb counties. Shoot, I'd have been 67. But we carried Beaver County, and we carried, you know, everything out there. Washington. You name it. Right. Yeah, Washington, yeah. We carried all of that and carried it big. So hey, the, the, the shift is not, and you've had, of course, you have real growth in, 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 out of Allegheny. All right, you've had real growth in the Philadelphia suburbs. But the real shift is, is that the, the Democratic coalition has really shifted, and it's probably been as pronounced in Pennsylvania as any state. I mean, it's still the same, you know, geographic parts. It's still the same thing, but it, you just have these massive, ma and, you know, it, what's happened is, is education has become just a huge predictor uh, of the vote, and, and particularly among whites. I mean, that's where the real change has come. It, and uh, I, I, I think, David, there, there's no state that is, maybe with the exception of Virginia uh, so far, that has changed as profoundly. I mean, if Michael Dukakis, who was not exactly a cultural conservative, carried Westmoreland and Washington counties in 1988 and got, got just clobbered in Montgomery and Delaware, that's done a complete flip. Uh, and I think that's probably good news on balance for Democrats, because the places where they're strong are the are the faster growing places. Now, I was in Wisconsin yeah. over, the, over the weekend, guys, and um, uh, everybody, the, the big folklore, of course, from 2016 is had Hillary actually stepped down there, set down there once, she'd have won the state. Uh, she lost the state by about 46,000 votes. Um, the... Uh, uh, Biden has been there, and of course Trump has been there. What do you see about uh, uh, Wisconsin? Well, I'll pick up because I I yeah. talked to Charles Franklin, who runs the Marquette poll this afternoon. Uh, right. ABC ABC had a poll that had Biden up seventeen. I don't believe that. There's something no. flawed about that. But the Marquette poll today had him up five, Biden up five. But it's a solid five, David. It's not you know whatever the poll showed five six days before the election. Before there's very little undecided. People say they're not going to change their mind. There may be some voting problems, but they're not going to be huge. They're coming in in very, very heavy numbers. They have maybe the best state chairman in the country. Uh, and I think there's the only question is, what will Biden's margin be? It may be five. It could be as high as 10 uh, out there. But, James, do you dissent at all? I, I know. I, and I think, I think it'll be much closer to 10 than five. Mm -hmm. And and you know because I said and we got to understand all of these posters and they're all good. It's not much. Charles Franklin is a top poster. They are so you should read David Wasserman on NBC News site. There's no there's no paywall there. And there's a good piece by a guy named Derek Thompson in the Atlantic. And I, this is my theory. Can I quantitatively prove it? No, but I, I got a hunch I'm right. If they were so traumatized by 2016. And not having the right share of, of older whites and non-college whites, that I think that they're overcompensating. And, and I think that I think that it, you know, and, and everybody has a, the share of the young vote fixed at a, at a pretty low number. I think the ratio of young voters in this election is going to surprise people on the upside. That that's a mega prediction I make, and, and that is going to help going the Democrats up. Well, I well, think it's I, young voters I, and older voters. Albert, you wrote recently about older voters. Yeah, how about my people, the geezers? I think the geezers are going to go. Uh, they went heavily for uh, Trump last time by, by 10, 15 points. In Pennsylvania, I think he carried the uh, seniors by, I think it was 12 points. And the good surveys that I've seen in Pennsylvania now shows Biden winning the seniors. Why is that? I, I think part of it is has to be the pandemic. I mean, you know... Senior citizens have been far more afflicted by the pandemic, and they realize that this has been a colossal governmental failure. Uh, maybe a little bit uh, fears of, of, uh, of Trump, as he said at Davos, cutting Social Security and Medicare, but I think it's primarily driven by the pandemic. And I think that's going to be very big in states like Pennsylvania, Florida, Maine, which has a very big uh, senior citizen population. Now, speaking of Maine, what do all of you think about the, uh, the future employment prospects of Susan Collins? 
go ahead, Albert, because you you got a better take on that than I do. I I would certainly bet on Gideon. I I think it's conceivable uh, that uh, that Collins finishes in a tie or even a little bit ahead in the first voting. Uh, but as you know, they have something called rank voting where you pick a second and third choice. That's how the Democratic congressman in the second district won in 2018. Uh, there's a, high, a highly respected Colby College, David, as we know, uh, yes. had a poll out the other day, which is a pretty good poll in the past, as getting up four. But even if it ends up in a dead heat or even a, you know, a one-point Collins advantage, I don't see how she survives uh, the rank voting, just as uh, the Republican couldn't survive it last time. Yeah, it does seem to remember Maine is the most rural state in America. Right. The, the, the percent of Maine in rural is, is higher than any place else. It, 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 you know, a lot of people okay. claim to be quirky. I think Maine can can claim that definition. It's quite quirky. It is. <laughs> David, we still have you. James, are you there? I'm right here. Yes, sir. If let's we lost, let's just talk. About, you know, yeah. you well, and I may have to carry okay. this. We may have to. We may have to carry this. You know, I think that's uh, true, though. I hope that people can hear this because it is really maybe Virginia has changed more, as you noted earlier. But you look at what you, what you, your campaign you ran for Bob Casey in '86 or Harris Wofford in '91. There has been a, a, a 180 from the east and the west, the Philadelphia suburbs. You know, versus those old steel and coal towns. Uh, but 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 what Virginia has grown. But but different is Virginia has grown a lot faster than That's Pennsylvania. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, Pennsylvania and, and wherever you've had growth, it's it's Allegheny and it's it's you know the Philadelphia suburbs mostly. Right. You know, maybe have a little bit in the Lehigh Valley, but right. Uh, so that that makes it a little bit different. I, I come in this election, and. You know, I think the, the, the Sun Belt states are just going to be a shock to people. I think most political insiders understand what's happening in Georgia and Texas and Arizona and places like that. But I, I think that it's going to be a shock to the general public. And, and I think it's going to be, of course, it's very important that the Democrats win back Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin. But the, the real shock is going to be in those states. And, and it, it, the, the, the American politics, the, the political map, in the United States is going to change more from 2016 to 2024 than any period that I can remember in modern American politics. I mean, the map is going to change drastically. You know, you remember we're talking about the days when I was running campaigns, 1988. Uh, remember, Dukakis carried West Virginia right. and, and lost California. And lost New Jersey, right. And New Jersey. I was right. running the Senate race in New Jersey in 1988. The Republicans carried New Jersey by about nine points. All right. So, in fact, I mean, the, the, yeah, in, fact, fact, in, fact, in fact, if you look at West Virginia, two governors of Massachusetts, they both won West Virginia. One was a Democrat, one was a Republican. A huge difference in 20 years. Now, how about Texas, guys? Well, James, I'm going to defer to James. He's been on this story for a long time. If the Democrats win Texas, they'll start talking about the Democrats' electoral lock. Uh, go okay. ahead, James. So, so I have, I thought people very much underplayed the 2018. I mean, that was a high turnout election that had very high Republican turnout, and when when ev and everybody said, "Whoa, boy, Beto O'Rourke, he he ran so strong because he ran so strong with young appeal to young voters and non-white voters." The truth about it is, he didn't do any better with with young voters or non-white voters than you would expect a Democrat to do. What really changed about Texas was the whites. And that's why Beto almost won. And, and, and so and people sort of dismissed that and went back to his Texas. So, as you know, Albert and I do a podcast. And the guy in, on Texas politics is a, he teaches at the University of Houston. He's, he's, he's older than even we are. He's been there forever. That's and, old. And he, he, he does you know, consulting on redistricting maps. I mean, he just knows, he is, he is the acknowledged expert on tax politics. He said on podcast, I think Biden is going to win. All right. It did start getting all of these, these, these recent polls over to transom. So Jonathan Martin goes there today, posted a story this afternoon. You can right. read that story and you can see, and the only people that think that the Democrats, that, that 
think the Democrats can't win Texas are Democrats. The Republicans are scared to death, yeah. and they're not very shy about it. No, it, it, right, it, right. It, David, that, let me give you let me give you just, just two yeah. fascinating tidbits about Texas. The, the, the Dallas is represented by by a con a, a freshman congressman named Colin Alrad, former football player, civil rights lawyer. He will win in a landslide. He won last time he beat an incumbent. Houston is represented by Lizzie Fletcher, freshman Democrat who won last time, beat an incumbent, will win easily this time. Those two districts were the homes of George H. W. Bush and George W. Bush. That's what's happened in Texas. Well, how about Florida? How about Florida? I, 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 that is a, been a, a kind of a laggard for Democrats. I, I, I think it may be getting in, in the early vote was, is not as encouraging as it is in other places. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it might be getting a touch. I, I, I think we're going to be okay. I, I, I didn't think that 48 hours ago. I, I didn't think we were going to lose, but I, I've gotten a, 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 a little more confidence here of late. But uh, it, it, look, Florida is Florida. Uh, right. I can't. What I, what I can't reconcile is I, Biden. In, in, he's a non-incumbent with a but a nine-point lead. Right? right. How can you how can you lose Florida if you're competitive in Texas? How can you lose Florida? <laughs> All right. I, 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 it just at some point this the law of political physics. All right. It, 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 I know some states always act as I've never in my entire life in politics. Have never woken up on Wednesday morning after election and said, "I just can't figure out how this happened." All right, you can see we're in a two-point loss, and you'd be outside, slightly out of maybe probability, but you could lose Pennsylvania, Michigan, or Wisconsin. That's that's not totally. But you win a national race by nine points, and you lose Florida. That's right. that's not going to happen. Makes no that's sense. just not going to happen. Makes no sense. That's not going to happen. So what? So I'm going to going to some of the questions from our guests here. What are the prospects of us knowing before we go to bed, depending, of course, what time we go to bed on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, that we'll know who the next president is? Officially or officially or in reality, David? In, in reality, in yeah, reality, I think they're high uh, uh, because uh, there'll be lags in vote counts. But if James is right, and if it's kind of clear, if it's clear that Biden is either carrying Georgia. Or is very close in Georgia. I'm sorry, that's game set match. I mean, you know, you're, 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 he's not, no way for Trump to win. Uh, I, I think uh, same with North Carolina or Florida. So it won't be official. AP will be very cautious. But um, you know, if if, if that happens, uh, you can you can bank it. Uh, you guys, let, let me say, let me make a point here, David. This is very important, yeah. and I, sure. I hope the Biden campaign is listening. As soon as you know you're going to win, go down and declare victory. Don't, don't wait. Don't, don't wait for the AP. Don't wait for the official call. If you carry Georgia, you're going to win. If you carry Pennsylvania, you're going to win. Go down and declare victory. Uh, we did that. We did that in New Hampshire. Although we didn't actually win, but it may affect. Do not, do not wait. Do not wait for Trump to concede. Do not be polite. Get all, get whatever you do it. Say the vice president is making a statement in, in 15 minutes. And they now, gotta cover that. They now, gotta Albert, cover Albert, that, and that sets the tone. Albert and I, and, and the, all the other people who, who who understand where all those counties were that we've been throwing around, they know what you mean by declaring victory in New Hampshire. Why don't you tell the rest of the crowd what you meant? So we uh, we had a, 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 a drop like crazy because we had to break it into Jennifer Flowers' story and well, everything. If it's everybody who he is. We're talking about 19 the Clinton, the Clinton campaign, 1992, right. in New Hampshire. Yeah. And the, the exit polls came in, and they were actually more favorable to the Clinton campaign than the actual result. So we just said, let's just go out after the polls closed and say, what a comeback kid. And so all the headlines flash over to comeback kid. Because when they finished casting the votes, I think Zongas won by like five points. Right. But the story of New Hampshire was not who won. It was that Bill Clinton was, you know, and of course, the press played along very well because he had, he was a gut shot Confederate soldier, you know, way, leaning against a, a, you know, pine tree ready to die. And so, when, and so of course, everybody, everybody loves the, the sort of redemption story in politics. But I'm really serious about this. As soon as, in, in, 
look, these people are going to know very early. You know, as soon as as soon as we know Pennsylvania, declare victory, because and then Trump is going to be responding to everything you do. Because they're going to pull every kind of cognitive scheme that they can come up with, and just be a winner, and just act like a winner because you're going to be a winner. Seize it and move on. Now, Albert, David, David, let the David, lawyers David, deal with that other stuff. David, let me ask you or any of our listeners who have more expertise than we do. I think that Supreme Court decision has been overplayed, and I'll tell you why. I don't think there are going to be very many votes that arrive after Election Day. I mean, Bob Casey said the other day, we're telling everyone, don't put anything in the mail. You know, put it in a drop box if you can. Vote in person if you can. Uh, a lot of people have already voted. I think you're talking about a very small number of votes uh, that will only matter if Pennsylvania is basically dead even. So yeah, I, think I think it's that's, I think that's right, Al. But, you know, we've been in newsrooms for decades on election night. And we've and about five o'clock, we all get these exit polls and we think we know what we're talking about. Will these exit polls mean anything because of the huge mail vote? Will that will they mean anything this time? Well, they say they have adjusted for that, and uh, they have all kinds of they. You know, the AP uh, and one of their chief clients is Fox News. They're doing a hundred thousand surveys uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday uh, each. Uh, so they're you know, and they're going to heavily tilt that to the battleground state. So I don't know. I I uh, I wouldn't write a story based on exit polls. You know, you, but, you know, but, I've never been but, in a newsroom. But if a candidate goes out and declares victory, they're going to cover that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cover yeah. And, and, and you better, I think James' advice is good because you know Trump will do that and he ain't going to win. He ain't going to win. But we're going to go, Biden's going to go earlier than him if, 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 if they're smart. I hope they're listening. So um, one of the things that's valuable about those exit polls, both of you know, is that when you look back to, to see, to trace the black vote, the Jewish vote, the female vote, you often you use those. Will we be deprived of that kind of information, do you think? No, no, yeah. no, okay. no. Uh, yeah, you won't. And some of the other polls, I mean, James knows that that incredibly extensive and sophisticated Bloomberg polling operation all over the country, I don't know how much oh, of that they're going to release after the election, but I mean, they're doing these huge samples in every state, which will give you all the micro numbers you need, uh, David. All right. And then for historical purposes, they adjust the exit polls to the actual turnout. Right. So right. they're, they're trying to guess it. So they're, they're, every poll is right, you know, a month after the election. Okay. So whether win or lose, what has been the effect of Trump on the presidency and on our politics? In, in, insidious. I mean, really insidious. And far yeah, greater than the policy. Uh, problems, which I would say there are. I'm sure we have a number of people out there uh, tonight and, uh, you know, who are watching and listening who would disagree with that. But I think he has debased the presidency. He has coarsened uh, the dialogue. I mean, you know, Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and George Bush didn't do that. They had bad moments, sure. Uh, the New York Times had a story. He had a uh, campaign rally in Wisconsin the other day, and he told 130 untruths or lies in 87 minutes. I mean, that's one and a half a minute. Uh, that's, an NFC, that's, a, that's an AFC North, uh, North Division champion. It is. Yeah. It is. Eat, your, eat your heart out, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, no, but seriously, it, it, it has. And I think the corruption, he was going to end the deep state. Remember that, David? He has oh, had yes. four of his closest associates indicted. Uh, and um, uh, I guess five indicted, four convicted. Cabinet members who's had to resign. He's usually administration as a personal piggy bank, I, it's just awful. And I think it'll take the country and the Republican Party, particularly the Republican Party, a while to recover. I think, uh, first of all, I think, I think when, uh, years after we're gone, that when our grandchildren, our grand-grandchildren, I think that the overriding story of the Trump administration is, is not going to be the malfeasance, the incompetence, the, the, the crudeness, the vulgarity. Is going to be the staggering corruption. I mean, the breathtaking, staggering, unbelievable corruption. I think the biggest effect of this presidency, I think the country will come back. I don't think we're going to be a corrupt country. I don't think people are going to follow down. But what I think is the biggest thing is we have, 
decimated confidence in one of the three branches of government. I mean, the, the, the way people feel about the judiciary now is, is just unbelievable. And I, any number of people that I know, if, if you would have said six months ago, you know, we need to reconfigure the federal courts, it's, oh, that's, a, you know, no, no, no. I, 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 you'd be surprised if people had called me and say they got to do something about this. And I, I think that, that Mitch McConnell, I think this has been a horrific overreach. And I just, I think people look at the Supreme Court and they don't view it as a judicial institution, they view it as a political institution. In that Kavanaugh opinion, I mean, here's a guy, the Supreme Court justice, he's got, did they, they get, I don't know how many law clerks they got from, from you know, the top 1% or the top 1% of law schools? And it came right in opinion, he's so political. And, and that just has never happened before where, where, where you have something like this. And, and the, the confidence in the courts and some of the the, the, the clowns that they confirmed at this appellate level and, and, and the, the district level, I, I mean, I, there was a time that was not long ago when you walked into a federal court and you had a high degree of confidence that your, your case was going to be heard, it was going to be arbitrated, you know, it would, you'd have some decision based on something. I, 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 I just have losing faith in people all around this country are really you know, losing faith in the courts. And if we don't have that, we, we lose a lot as a nation. I, and I, you know, and when, when we had Bush v. Gore, I think that started it all. And everybody, every Democratic commentator said, well, we accept the court. We, this is part of who we are as a nation. And Al Gore said, okay, I'll accept that. It, it is going to be a long road back for these federal courts. And that is a staggeringly important institution in our country. And, and they have lost a lot of credibility. Now, one of our guests uh, asked a very good question. Why are you more confident in the polls in 2020 than you might have been in 2016? And I, I just got back in. I lost you for a minute, David. James, you mind if I take that? Yeah, of course I don't mind. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, first of all, I think, and, and, and James alluded to this earlier, there has been some adjustment in the polls. Uh, particularly in the upper Midwest, where they undercounted non-college-educated whites. David, let's remember, the national polls were not off last time. Uh, you know, right. I was doing the Bloomberg poll. We had Hillary winning by three. Actually, it was 2.6 when you looked at it. She won by 2.1. The NBC Wall Street Journal was four. It was some of the state polls that were wrong. So I think that's one difference. I think they've adjusted for that. The second difference is... There were a number, and I think this is really different in this election. There were 14%, according to some reliable surveys, that didn't like either candidate. They really didn't. And at the end, they broke overwhelmingly for Trump. And it was not illogical. They said, hey, I don't like either one of them. What the hell? Let's go with something new, right? This time, there aren't, this time it's much more fixed. There are far fewer people who are at least soft, not even on the side, but soft uh, uh, because of that. And those few that are... If you think about it, and I talked to the Marquette poll director today, they're more likely to say in the end, hey, what the hell, I can't take four more years of this. So I think 2016, which some Democrats just obsess over today, I, right. I think it's a bad marker. Now, Albert, um, most of your family income comes from television, which is why this question from Sam Marinucci, whom I happen to know is one of the leading political analysts in Toronto, uh, he asked the following. <laughs> you guys are saying this is is over. Is there any point even bothering to watch TV on November the second or third? Oh gosh, yes. I'll undo everything I've said if I can guarantee that Sam will watch it. I don't want Sam, you know, to have to, you know, relive the Toronto Raptors uh, on uh, on November third. No, Actually, I, I think look, he's reliving the 1967 Maple Leafs. But go ahead. Anyway, I look. I I think it's. Yeah, of course, we're going to watch it and we're going to see. And I'm interested. I don't have I'm, I'd be shocked if the outcome's not what we expect. But but there's still particulars. James's point about Georgia. God knows Texas would be, you know, probably the biggest single state story in my lifetime. So, yeah, there's a lot to watch. Well, what about the Senate races? Yeah, right. I mean, Hillary, okay. look, you know, and there's some chance that you might see a beaten the face of a beaten Donald Trump that that. Who wouldn't stay up? Just say, maybe there's a five percent chance he'll show up, and you can watch him like he was getting off that helicopter after that Tulsa rally. I now, can't tell uh, you. 
One of our other guests asked, and Albert, you might be the person to answer this, uh, why it's taken 14 years for those Trump, um, for those Trump uh, income taxes to be uh, dealt with by the IRS. Well, because the IRS is so unfair. They've been out for Donald Trump, you know, for the last 40 years before he, you know, was while he was still at Wharton. Uh, it's just, David, the IRS commissioner has no idea what is in the Trump tax return. This is simply a absolute lie. Every one of those taxes are not being audited. You can release your returns if they are being audited. He is simply not releasing them, and we now we suspected why before. We know why. The New York Times got a hold of him. Number one, he's not worth nearly as much money as he says. Number two, he has taken probably certainly illicit and I suspect illegal write-offs. Number three, he didn't pay any taxes. And number four, you know, he, he his, his family were feather betters, which also may be in violation of the law. So if you had all of that in your tax returns, you're probably not going to release them. Okay, so Jody Scaff, whom I happen to know from high school days and who was known uh, beyond uh, beyond high school as the sage of Hampton, New Hampshire. She asked, who do you think, this, uh, how, how the Senate will, will, will go? Will it go Democratic? James. Look, there are probably, let's say, eight Senate races that are plus or minus two. What I think is the least likely outcome is it breaks 4-4. Four, four. Right? They generally break one way or another. But a Maine is plus or minus two. North Carolina's plus or minus two. South Carolina's plus or minus two. The uh, Purdue seat is plus or minus two in Georgia. The Texas seat is plus or minus two. The Montana seat is plus or minus two. The Iowa seat is plus or minus two. Probably Alaska seat is plus or minus two. All right, I, I, maybe I, I forgot one, but I don't think I did. Colorado and, and, and uh, Arizona and probably Alabama are, are not in that category. So I, I think of those, you know, they'll mostly fall to one party. And right now, if I, of course, I hope they do. But if I had to guess, I think they'll fall to the Democrats. Not all um, of them. I don't think all of them will fall. But, 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 but there'll be a, a tilt one way or the other. Well, I don't want you to think that only my friends are calling in, but Millie Myers, who lives four doors down from me here on, Millie, on Murray Hill Avenue in Pittsburgh, asks whether, if we hadn't had the p pandemic, what would this election look like? I believe, and I wrote this uh, a long time ago, I think that if the Democrats got their act together, which they did with Jim Clyburn's endorsement, I think Donald Trump was going to be defeated even without the pandemic. It would have been closer, uh, but I think that the closest analogy I can find, and there are certainly differences profoundly in the economy, is 1980. The country really just didn't want four more years of Jimmy Carter. Uh, and I think if you go back to January and February, the country really didn't want four more years uh, of Donald Trump. The Democrats, if they had nominated Bernie Sanders, uh, I think that Trump would have won. But once the Democrats got their act together, I, I really I think a whole lot of things haven't shaken this race up much at all. It, may have been, it, it would have been closer, but I still think they would have won. David, I want to say something. Okay. Go ahead. He was going as soon as South Carolina happened, he was going to lose. If you go back and you look at the polling, if you look at the NBC Wall Street Journal poll in January of this year, mm -hmm. it is not that much different now. If you look at his approval, it is not that much different now. It, 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 it is a, a common myth, and that's exactly what it is, that, that Trump, you know, he goes to Erie and said, if it wouldn't have been for COVID, I wouldn't have to be here with you people. All right? That's, that's in his mind. The truth of the matter is he was doomed for defeat, and COVID came along. It would actually, if he would have been anybody other than Donald Trump, it could have helped him. He could have probably won if he'd act anything remotely like a leader because he had a big event that could change people's perception of him. Look at what happened to these governor's ratings when, 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 when this came. And he, he, I don't know how much, that's really not a lot of difference in his approval today than it was in January or February. Absolutely. He was on his way out then. I mean, look at that. You cannot underestimate. If I got a pound there on that, you cannot underestimate the 2018 election. The highest turnout since women are granted the right to vote and the biggest margin. And Albert's right. It didn't happen in Ohio, but it looks like the delayed wave is getting to Ohio. And I hope, I hope it gets to Florida. 
No, yeah, David, David, let me tell you this. The Jared Kushner tape from Bob Woodward the other day is so revealing, where in April, he told Woodward, we've taken this over from the doctors. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, if you have cancer, do you want someone to say, you know what? We've taken over from the doctors now. We're going to have Jared Kushner uh, running it. Of course you don't. And that's what that that is the really the scandal of what they did in this in this terrible crisis. We have five times the death rate of Germany, which knew about the so-called Chinese flu at the same time we did. Uh, Sean Kerbar asks the following. Do you believe Joe Biden can remain a centrist? Uh, in spite of the pressure he'll get from the left wing of his party? Or is that all a myth? Is that all but just part of the folklore? James? Well, first of all, I, I, I don't know if Joe Biden, I, I, I'm a liberal, but just not a lefty. All right. And I, Joe Biden is running on the most, what I would consider, liberal platform by far. Anybody, any Democrats are running president. It's not a left wing platform, but it, it talks about things that, that you know, expand health care coverage. It talks about, you know, really a, a aggressive uh, tackling of climate, which I think is the, the biggest issue that we've ever faced since God knows when. I mean, it, it's a very forward-looking, I don't know what word progressive, but what, what it means. But, but Biden is certainly running his, his platform and his campaign is certainly to the left of what we ran on and certainly to what President Obama ran on. So I, 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 we get into these kind of nomenclature that, that I don't think actually reflects the time that we're in. And it, you look at all these Republicans for Biden, that they're, they're embracing the whole platform. I mean, they're defending Biden. I mean, the whole country has just moved to accept things that, that have not been accepted before, and, and not just accepted some things, but like embraced them. I mean, even the Republicans are running that we got to cover people, mandate coverage of people with pre-existing conditions. I mean, none of them are, are running that, that, you know, market solutions are, are the answer. None of them are, nobody's running against gay marriage. No one's running against marijuana legalization. No one's running for the balanced budget amendment. No one's running for prayer in school. I, I mean, it, it's the, the entire dynamic of the country is shifting this, this way. And, and there's no doubt about that. Now, some of this lefty stuff is insane, but I, I don't think the country is nearly there. Well, so, David, uh, let, me, let, me, David let me just add to that is it, it, two things. Number one, read a, a column by Max Boot in the Washington Post today. He, David, just, he can identify with a former Wall Street Journal editorial page writer. He reflects everything that James just said. It's really instructive. But also, the Democrats, if they, they I think they're going to control the Senate. They're going to pick up 15 House seats. Those new senators are not going to be Sanders-Warren senators. They're going to be Steve Bullock. They're going to be Mark Kelly, Teresa Greenfield, Sarah Gideon, Cal Cunningham. Those are all for, centrist. I hate the They're term, centrist. they are all centrist. I don't like that term, yeah. but they are the progressive mainstream yeah. of the party. Uh, I, I call them realist. I have two last questions, both for James. Louisiana and Monroe host Appalachian State this week. I'm seeing the Mountaineers at minus 31.5. Who, <laughs> like Who do you like in that one? But, uh, they, they must be. They're minus 31.5. Yeah, yeah I... I you know, ULM, they're the Warhawks, right. you know? And I, I, I got to go with my guys from Northeast Louisiana. They, they, they have a lot of talent up there in high school football in North Louisiana. Something tells me they're going to rise to the occasion. The you know, it, David, it's funny. I used to pick, I picked against the spread on Tony Kornhauser's show. And about three yeah. weeks ago, I said, Tony, I just can't do it. Yeah, I got to come back after the election. I, 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 I can't even concentrate. It's, honestly, LSU loses, and okay, hell with it, because this is an election. I want to get my life back to where I really care about this stuff. Okay, well, the question that many people are wondering, seriously, I got seven or eight people asking the very same question. It's our last question. Uh, we've gone here 58, 59 minutes. Who is Mary, Mary Madeline going to vote for? You know, I, I, I've been a policy of mine for a long time. It's worked well. I never speak from all ways. <laughs> I think the three of us can agree on the value of that view. Anyhow, I want to I want to thank both my friends Al Hunt and James Carville for their remarkable contribution to the conversation in Western Pennsylvania and beyond. To thank, of course, I'm Mark Blue Cross Blue Shield for uh, sponsoring this. To thank the uh, staff of the Post Gazette. 
from for which for whom I've worked for 16, 17 years for their contribution and in sponsoring this, and to thank most of all all of you to urge you all to vote, no matter what the weather. Uh, on uh, next Tuesday, if you haven't already voted, to thank you very, very much for tuning in and for voting. I usually say for voting with your feet for coming um, uh, to our town meetings, but in this case, for voting with your fingers. Let your fingers do the walking and let your fingers do the talking. I'm delighted that we had a, such a good conversation. It's remarkable to me that Albert was able to actually conquer the uh, high-tech uh, challenges. And of course, James always uh, always makes a great contribution. And David, this is the only place we've ever. This is the only place we've ever been invited back to. So, so well, I know. yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to next year. Yeah, well, don't be sure you'll get another one, but I have a suspicion. <laughs> I have a suspicion that you'll be back again. Thanks, <laughs> thanks to all of you, and good night. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by thirty percent in twenty twenty three. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.